mental health, it's a global epidemic. And as more patients need mental health services, the pressure rises on the system. And at the same time, consumerization is changing patients' expectations on how their mental health is diagnosed and treated. So today we explore digital phenotyping, which includes new ways to diagnose illnesses, choose effective treatments, and detect relapse before it occurs. In this episode, I'm joined by Doug McDonald and Alex Dahlberg from Saha. And in this episode, we explore mental health and digital phenotyping, what it is and the implications it has for health, fitness, workplace safety, pharmaceuticals, telehealth, and a lot more too. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Doug McDonald and Alex Dahlberg, co-founders of Saha, who are delivering better mental health data to providers so they can deliver better care for patients. Hey guys, how are you going? Uh, good, yourself. Thanks for the great introduction. That was very kind. Thank you. Made it sound like I'm, I'm going to listen to this podcast. Thank I think you. you made this sound really interesting. I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I subscribe? <laughs> That's a good start. That's a good start. Well, look, and I'm really keen to jump into it too, because this, this concept's really interesting, the way you're approaching the problem and the problem itself is one that's really front of mind for a lot of people. So firstly, though, I want to learn a bit more about yourselves. Doug, do you want to tell us a bit more about, about you firstly? Yeah, sure. As you can tell by my accent, a bit of a wayward Canadian who with my supportive family, thankfully, uh, worked and traveled my way across the world to end up in Australia a few years ago. My professional career has always been in sort of roles in product or service development, entrepreneurial type roles. But I never had that confidence, if you will, to sort of take the leap into entrepreneurship. Never lacked for ideas. I just didn't have the structure or modeling in place to, you know, what, what does it look like how to create a business? So a couple of years ago, my wife was like, get out of the house, go to this antler accelerator and check that out. And that's where I met Alex and became a co-founder of Saha. Exciting. And Alex, tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm pretty much the exact opposite. So I've more or less been an entrepreneur my entire life. Like right down, I remember even kind of scamming kids out of their marbles at primary school <laughs> and uh, eventually during high school, getting into technology and starting to toy around with initially with things like photoshops and then started making websites and by the time i left high school i was really dead set on building little bits of technology and somewhere along the way those started turning into companies and but throughout that time i you know i've always struggled with mental health and different things there and during my last company i was definitely going in and out of bouts of, of burnout and and depression and then the whole time i was fixated well well building that company on like how do you solve the communication of mental health, which was important to me. So I eventually left that company. It's still going, you know, and they're, they're growing fast, which is great. So going better without me, which is also great. And then, yeah, like joined the Antler Accelerator, had this kind of goal of building something that communicates mental health better amongst kind of stakeholders of organizations and startups and, and things like that. And then met Doug in there and um, we kind of bonded over digital phenotyping and sentiment analysis and stuff like that. And yeah, we really saw like there's a significant opportunity there to bring basically this predictive capability that we can create with digital phenotyping to digital health and really, really empower the industry with much better technology. 
Interesting. So I'm keen to learn a bit more about that space. And does that then bring us to where we're at now, which is Saha, which is a product that you've worked on together? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I can tell you sort of the the high level. So Saha, first to start up, is Arabic for health. That's a bit of a love letter to my wife and her family who are Arab. We are we consider ourselves a research company, a data science company, a developer tool. We actually like to call ourselves badass, which is behavioral analytics data as a service. So we're a data science and developer tool that integrates into apps or other services. So as we're talking about, you know, we collect these digital phenotypes from mobile devices. This is information like the amount of steps taken, quality of sleep, screen on and off counts, and other bits of data that we also include with it, like demographics and time, which allows us to analyze the data through our proprietary models to predict mental health conditions against standardized psychometric tests currently like the PHQ, and we're also uh, working with the GAD7 and DAS. So Saha solves a problem that virtually all digital health apps have. So when we first started, we were thinking about becoming an app. And then we realized that virtually everyone in this space has the same problem, which is how to assess a customer when they aren't being cooperative. Uh, Peter, I don't know if you have any mental health or well-being apps on your device, but you know, how often have you gotten like, hey, Peter, how you feeling? Right. I'm feeling great. Do you mind? You know, the kids are screaming at me. I'm at the mall, you know, trying to buy something, you know. And so that's really tough because without that, that feedback, I can't provide a recommendation or a treatment. So the challenge with a lot of these digital services and digital health is in order for you to extract any value from the app, you have to invest a fair amount of time and effort in putting information for it to provide value and a recommendation back to you. So ultimately, we eliminate that need for the user to tell the app how they are feeling because Saha assesses how you are feeling. You don't have to tell it. So this dramatically improves user experience. Absolutely. And this is something that we talk about a fair bit on the show too. Like whatever part of healthcare it is, that big challenge that for applications to do something with the data, the data needs to be received in some way. And and if that involves the end user inputting stuff, then... uh, in busy environments, just generally in the day-to-day of healthcare, that's unlikely to be super high quality or it's going to be unpredictable. It's always reliant on the other end. But if it's doing something in the background, then collecting that data and observing it as it goes on and then giving insights back, that sounds really interesting. Is that what digital phenotyping is or is there a kind of gap there that needs to have a bit more of an understanding about what what this all is? Yeah, kind of. I mean, digital phenotyping is, is basically a fancy way of more or less saying like collecting data from from digital sensors or phone sensors kind of like the phenotypes that we have like eyes ears and nose and mouth you know we're able to communicate and ingest data with these phenotypes and the benefit of them really is that your phone or your wearables or whatever the device is is just continuously collecting data in the background all the time and you as a person don't have to tell the the phone to collect each step you don't have to tell the phone to, to track your sleep. You might have to set it up, but there's all sorts of things you don't have to tell your phone to do. You just behave as you behave, and then you're more or less generating these patterns the whole time, these ebbs and flows of data, and for lack of better words. And what we're able to do, at least for the research side of our company, is correlate those patterns with the outcome of psychometric instruments. And we're basically taking all of that data that we're collecting and huge, huge amounts from our research division and then turn that into basically predictive machine learning models. 
And then we make those commercially available so that developers and product leads from other digital health companies can consume those models there and make that capability available to their users. The results of our analysis can really be sent anywhere. So it doesn't have to be sent back to the user in in the form of an insight. It might be sent to a dashboard. It might run in the back end of a service and trigger different notifications or recommendations or prompts. It's super, super, super flexible. So that's really where we differentiate quite significantly from other mental health companies is we're not providing treatments or interventions. We're providing indications. And there's not many companies out there doing that. And there's not many companies out there doing that and making it available to virtually all digital healthcare companies. So if I understand it correctly, it's not an app that a patient downloads, the Saha app. It's something that that works in the background to power other digital health applications, digital mental health applications. Yeah. We're like the equivalent of the inner workings that happen when you buy something on a checkout. Behind the scenes, you've got the transaction going somewhere, going to a bank account and bits of data being updated here and there and maybe in a CMS. Like what Saha does is really all behind the scenes. And then we have these data outputs that developers can use and they might display it on their app as a visual insight or something. They might display it on an enterprise wellbeing dashboard platform. They might display it to a telehealth company to enhance the, the quality of data that a therapist has on the other end. So yeah, we're kind of like this engine that you don't really see that provides significantly better data, both passively and longitudinally without relying on someone to input that data manually. So we're changing the user work to value equation quite significantly. Yeah, I think if you know if you have a fitness app and you had to go in and tell the fitness app every day how many steps you've walked yourself, right? And like, you know, that you're like, well, I think I walked 10. Or sleep tracker, right? If you woke up in the morning, you had to tell your sleep tracker how you slept. It's so subjective that you don't really go, oh, that's not very helpful at the end of the week going, eh, you slept great. Versus the objective way that sleep trackers work really help your understanding of yourself better, if you will. Yeah. This comes from an uneducated perspective, but, you know, Apple, Samsung device, like all the Android devices collects a lot of data anyway. And so as a creator of a health app, couldn't I just plug into whatever that is doing? It sounds like there's something else needed to be able to actually give some insights. Yeah, yeah. Like if you wanted to capture sort of step data and sleep data, you definitely can plug into Apple HealthKit or CoreMotion or whatever you want to use uh, within those Apple and Android libraries to capture that information. So we're taking that data and we're extrapolating about 67 different, I guess, data points from that information and inferring a mental health analysis out of it. So that's something that these platforms don't do. And if they do end up doing something like that, it'll be, it'll be very user-facing and they won't make it available through an API because it's it's incredibly um, privacy-intensive and, and security-intensive, I think maybe is the way to put it. And then, so what we do is we make that information much more available to companies to ingest in a super, super simple way. Yeah, that's kind of the, the benefit there. Yeah, and there's pretty significant statistical models that we've created that takes into account not just you know the steps or how well did you sleep, time, demographics, you know, gender, age, and other information that we ingest in order to make those models more accurate. Yeah. And Alex mentioned privacy here. No doubt, I would imagine that privacy challenges are really important. You're monitoring activity behind the scenes and pulling bits and pieces together. How are you guys taking consideration all of these issues around consent and collecting data and doing that securely? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's critical. And we recognize that really early on in our development. So privacy and data security are what we consider essential to our service, obviously. 
And most importantly, too, with our customers to establish and maintain that trust. So what we did was there is a term called privacy by design. And we sort of took that term and we literally translated it and we built it by literally privacy by design, the entire Saha platform. So we worked with a uh, technology law firm here in Sydney. They did a privacy impact assessment based on what we were developing. And they gave us the information back and saying, these are all the areas that we think that could be at risk for you. And we built our platform to accommodate for that risk. An example would be is that when we first started, there was a fair amount of research on like using GPS or third-party keyboard for information. And we quickly determined that that just wasn't going to work commercially, you know, because that user experience that we've been talking about would have been in, like changed because of consent challenges, for instance. If you've ever put on GPS on your phone for a service, you know, iOS or Apple will hound you till the depths of hell to go, are you sure you want this app tracking your every movement? And so we knew that consent would be a problem. And we knew that data privacy was going to be a problem in that situation as well. So we focused on sensors that people are familiar with and are comfortable sharing. So we've all used HealthKit before. And, you know, our sleep trackers use it. Our physical activity trackers, Fitbits use them. So this is something that we're all familiar with. And the data that we collect is really benign. So we don't collect any personal data. We don't ask for your phone number, your email address, name, number, nothing like that. And everything we collect is encrypted. And then it's encrypted again. I laugh because our systems developer was like, you want to do what now? You want to encrypt it here and encrypt it there? and encrypt- Yeah, yeah, we really do. And so because we take the duty of care for our customers and their users really seriously. I don't know if you heard about, you know, there's, I won't mention their name, but there's an app in the US recently that, you know, sharing a lot of information with Facebook and going like, why? You know, why would we break that trust that we have with our customers and our users for what purpose? It doesn't work, make sense to us. No, it's a very, you know, short-term commercial gain that has no no longevity aspect and a lot of moral implications to it too, yeah. Well, this is mental health, right? Like the duty of care is incredibly high. And I think that's why we made all those investments early on because <laughs> I can tell your listeners, lawyers aren't cheap. No, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, you yeah. know, you touched on it, Doug, that mental health, and it's really important. And now, arguably more so than ever, people refer to mental health as being in a state of epidemic. Talk to me more about that. Yeah, I think they're talking about it as an epidemic because sadly, I think it is. Anecdotally, we have a lot of stories with people that we've talked to. Incredibly humbling. I don't mind admitting some of the stories that people have shared with us, the raw honesty. But if we were to take a step back and go a little bit further back and go, okay, anecdotally, epidemic feels real. But unfortunately, the data sort of supports that too. Since the first year of the COVID And can you believe we got this far without mentioning COVID? Since the COVID pandemic, global prevalence of anxiety and depression increased by 25%, which is pretty substantial. And moreover, approximately 280 million people worldwide, which is almost 4% of the world's population, suffers from depression. And worse yet is that the WHO estimated that mental, essential mental health services were disrupted by 93% of the countries around the world during the pandemic. So... Uh, you're in Melbourne, right? I'm in Sydney. Oh, you're in Sydney. Sorry. We We've caught up know in what Melbourne. happened to yeah, our yeah. friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we know what happened to, you know, the folks in Victoria and the, oh, even of course, in yeah. New South Wales, the lockdowns. Significant lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The social distancing, the physical isolation. 
mm. has seriously impacted the mental health of all of us, including Australians, obviously. And then we're talking about the people that already suffer from mental illness to start with and to have this on top. Yeah, it's definitely an epidemic, unfortunately. Yeah. So thinking about this as a crisis that needs to be addressed, and no doubt it calls on different stakeholders to help out. You've got your healthcare providers, but also employers and governments and different players. How do you kind of work them into helping solve some of this problem with with Saha? Yeah. So I think a big part of this crisis is access to care. We heard a lot about, you know, getting onto the ladder. So it's not enough that we can diagnose. We need to be able to treat. And resources in the mental health field, which I'm sure I'm telling you something you already know, are are quite overwhelmed. But I think one of the elements that stakeholders can do is focus on prevention and mitigation. I know that us as a team, as employers and managers, we're trying to be more open about mental health and provide the psychological safety that's required to allow our team to openly talk about their challenges. And I think that's a really important part of how we can assist remote workers in particular. Moreover, I think by what we're providing in Saha is by being able to identify mental health challenges early, there's an opportunity for lower touch solutions. Maybe it's psychoeducation or social support. Making those resources easily available is important, as well as recognizing that a lot of people have been isolated. And what we can do as leaders to make simple changes to encourage interaction, be it virtual or real life, to counteract that sense of isolation. A couple of days ago, we had a team meeting and another co-founder mentioned, hey, there's this thing called Gather Town. And we had the team go on it. And there was a Tetris game that you could play on it. And you quickly identified, it was great fun, you know, because there is two folks that are working remotely. One was in Auckland, the other one was in Dunedin. And they got competitive straight away. <laughs> in stretch. It was just fun to watch. And it's those moments like that that can really help make people feel more connected. And I think that's all part of our responsibility as employers and as people, to be honest. Yeah, that's a really important point. But also as well, you know, you think about not just how people are engaging and connecting with each other and utilizing technology and in those examples that you mentioned, but also how people access healthcare these days. This consumerization of health is becoming more prevalent as well. And I imagine this is also changing the way that people expect to access mental health services as well. Do you think this is pointing us in the in the right direction? I do. I think any another tool in the toolbox is always a good thing, as long as that tool is helpful, of course. But I think that consumerization, people's expectations are changing. There is that expectation of convenience and scheduling, accessing services, as well as in control, right? You know, how we manage our health and well-being. I think we're being, if you will, spoiled by great apps and services through other industries, adjacent or not. And I think that is now really spilling over into healthcare. And I think predictive services such as ours can provide objective data points and alert the user of behavioral changes that could lead to poor outcomes. And that leading to prompt that provides content relevant to some of the negative changes that have been observed, such as poor sleep and access to personalized care. So like any new digital service, though, there's always the concerns around privacy and data security. And given that we're talking about someone's mental health, I think that is a really good conversation to have. But this idea of quantified self, this acceptance of tracking ourselves and the benefit it provides, I think the horse has left the barn, if you will. And I think that given the magnitude of the problem, I think the benefits far outweigh the risk. Yeah, no, I hear you. Something about Saha then and what you're busy working on, maybe hearing from a product and strategic perspective from both of you, what's going to keep you busy over the next 6, 12, 
2024. Alex, what's being worked on? Yeah, sure. So we've got plenty of new models coming out. We're trying to release a new model every sort of two to three weeks. And that's important to not only show customers and people that are interested in our product that we're, we're moving fast and things improve constantly. So we've got some pretty impressive stuff there. There's definitely, I don't want to go into it in too much detail until, <laughs> until we, we know more about it, but some really, really exciting things on um, the product development side towards the end of the year that will basically allow us to predict outputs that don't exist by using proxies for different things and you know researching the effectiveness of uh, effectively virtual sensors and data outputs that we I guess we are predicting and assuming in, in a way and seeing the validity of that we're hopefully moving to an open beta in the next few weeks so we'll allow anyone to kind of join the platform and and get some API keys start toying around in the sandbox and building things yeah i mean that's the very near term thing new models and open beta yeah and as a startup we're always fundraising, so, you know, <laughs> there's <fundraising>. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Doug, just generally, like, think about the future of this space and, and any other final thoughts when it comes to the role that technology plays in this really challenging space of mental health. I think it, it'll be really helpful in allowing people to manage their health care, their mental health care in advance of seeing problems. Because I think once I'm aware that my mental health has degraded, it's too late right? That is more of a therapy discussion now versus, you know, is there perhaps psychoeducation or social support that can benefit me? So as I was mentioning before, that lower touch. And I, I really think that that's, you know, will truly be the benefit of digital health going forward. Absolutely. Look, well, I'll put the details for Saha in the show notes of this episode for people to check out in their own time and get in touch if they're keen to learn more or get involved in some way or another. But Doug, Alex, I really appreciate you making the time to come and chat on the show about this really important topic. Good luck with the future. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.